you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch. And have you thought about starting a business? Are you in a place where maybe you're kind of unhappy in your career and you've been thinking about, I wonder what it'd be like to go into business for myself or what kind of business should I start or should I even consider becoming an entrepreneur? Or maybe you've got a side hustle and you're thinking about turning it full time or you're just kind of a new entrepreneur and trying to figure out where do you go from here? Uh, or maybe you're not interested in entrepreneurship at all, but you just kind of want to think about how do I, how would I set that up if I wanted to down the line or maybe help friends who might be interested in entrepreneurship. Well, today's show is about how do you look at potentially leaving your career to start a business, and I'm not saying you need to do that. Uh, that's certainly what I did. I have become an entrepreneur over the last few years, and I absolutely love it. It is a lifestyle that I embrace and that I absolutely love, and I have learned that it is not for everyone. That's actually why I created this podcast and started my book or wrote my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, to help people find a happier, fulfilling career working in corporate, working for other people without the need to go uh, through all the stress of starting your own business. But if that's something you're interested in, uh, then stay tuned because I am sharing an interview that I did recently with Chris Michael Harris. And Chris is the founder of Startup U and host of the Startup U podcast. He has founded and bootstrapped and scaled multiple startups to seven plus figures in his mid to late 20s in both the on and offline space. Chris excels in taking concepts from idea stage to traction and growth in extremely rapid succession. In addition to being involved with several exciting endeavors ranging uh, a variety of industries and serving as the entrepreneur in residence for Silicon Valley-based accelerator program, Foundation Institute. Chris is also the host of Entrepreneur Hour, a podcast that is trended as high as top five worldwide on iTunes under business, health, and education. And Chris is really kind of an expert on how do you think about leaving your job to start a business and what's the process that you need to go through. So in this interview, he actually walks through that process. How do you determine if entrepreneurship is right for you? How do you figure out what kind of business to start? How do you research and analyze the market? Um, how do you then take the next step? And we also talk about how do you find the right mentors uh, and clients and build a network to help support you in building this business. And finally, we discuss how do you develop the right mindset to overcome adversity that's going to come up along the way. This is a great interview if you're thinking about starting a business or just curious about the idea. Um, and by the way, I have started my own business. I am running a business now around this podcast, around my book. I have a community that I run for talent development professionals. I have uh, speaking and a course I'm launching around this book. So I'm instantly familiar with uh, all the things that come along with entrepreneurship. And I love this topic and always happy to talk more about it if you want to reach out and you have questions. And of course, if you're really interested in diving in and starting a business, check out the free course that uh, Chris is offering. Uh, he gives a link at the end of this episode, but I'm also going to put a link. I think he's given me an affiliate link I'm going to drop into the show notes. Uh, so if you are interested in signing up for his free course, use the link in the show notes and uh, let me know how it goes. Right, without further ado, here's my interview with Chris Michael Harris about starting a new business. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Andy, what's up, my man? How are you? I'm fantastic. It's great to be talking with you again, because uh, we did an interview for your show recently, and I've been eager to get you on here, uh, because I know you have uh, a really interesting, unique story to share, and I think we're going to be able to share some tools and some things today for people that are 
trying to figure out kind of where they want to go in their careers and um, also maybe thinking about starting a business, uh, which I know you help a lot of people with. Uh, so I'm excited and I thought maybe we could just start with your story, right? How did you get to where you are today? You know, what led you down this path? Wow. So where to begin with that? I, I think the, the the main common denominator, and I've seen this a lot, Andy, and I know you kind of share that sentiment as well, and maybe some others do that are listening or watching uh, will recognize this in themselves, but mm-hmm. just uh, always finding ways to make money outside the nine to five. Mm-hmm. Now, back when I was doing that, not that I'm you know ancient or anything, but it wasn't as uh, entrepreneurship wasn't as mainstream as it is now, right? You didn't see as a viable option, it was deemed to be extremely risky. Not that it's not now. I think that risk is somewhat mitigated in relation to what it used to be. Uh, but always finding things to be doing, whether that was mowing lawns in, in grade school. And, you know, when my friends are hanging out doing stuff, I'm making money, mm-hmm. right? And I'm buying video games and, you know, doing all these things that my friends couldn't do unless their parents gave them allowance. And I had the freedoms to do those things because I was just finding ways to make money outside of your traditional hour for pay model. Uh, got to high school, more of the same, actually generated over $10,000 between my junior and senior year, just doing grunt work, right? And one of them was a moving, uh, it was a request from an elderly couple that had a bad experience with a move with a big, you know, box brand. Yeah. So that kind of stuck with me because I think that was like, I think I actually did with like 16,000 that, that summer between wow. junior and senior year of high school, which is, I mean, substantial, right? For, for a bunch of high school kids. Yeah. And 8,000 came from that move. So I get to college uh, and, and again, kicking stuff around, personal training, valeting cars. I mean, if there's a side hustle, a list of side hustles. I've probably done 90% of them, right? Just always find ways to make Can I interrupt money. you and ask you a question about that? Please. You know, this, this kind of, this does this draw towards entrepreneurship where you're hustling and picking up all these different jobs? Um, do you feel like that was instilled in you by your parents? Were there other entrepreneurs in your family? Or was this something that you just kind of like came out of nowhere and, and it was just unique to you? So yes and no. Yes, in a sense of my father was an outside salesman. And so there was a lot of freedom in his schedule. However, I was always kind of deemed as the uh, little bit on the fringe in relation to other members of my family. Like it was, you got to get a job. You gotta, so again, it was more of a cultural thing and that would not necessarily exclude my family as well. But I did have other influences later on uh, that were more of, more of true entrepreneurs that I kind of, it validated the way that I already felt. So, right. so I can't say that I was just inherently that way. I think I do have a propensity. I do think there are people that have a propensity for entrepreneurship. Yes. I always say it's a lifestyle, not a career. Yeah. But most of us don't give ourselves permission to pursue it until right. we see someone else that's doing it successfully that right. we can kind of model or fall down that path, which is why it's become mainstream because of social media. Because yeah. now every day you turn on social media and you're seeing people successful in entrepreneurship. And I think it's given us a lot of validation to recognize who we are and to go in full pursuit of that. Yeah, it's like classic nature versus nurture. And I think it can be both. And, you know, for sure. me, I found later in life that I was extremely drawn towards entrepreneurship. And I think there were signs of that for me early on in middle school, high school. I used to do a, a few of the things like you talked about. Right. There were no entrepreneurs in my family. Right. No exposure. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even know that it was a possibility you could like run your own yeah. business. It was just, you need to get a job, right? Um, so it's interesting that you still pursue that. Obviously, you got into college and you're starting to do all these different things. Where did it go from there? Yeah. So they were all just side hustles, man. It was just make money because I'm looking at working at burrito joints, which I did have a job at an actual burrito joint. That's a real story. And I'm like, I could do this side hustle and make more than I'd make in like a day and a half working full time at that burrito joint. Like, why would I not pursue? So it was always just coming up with things like that. Yeah. 
college, right, continuing down that college path, saw that there were some students in this building that I lived in, peers that happened to be female. So obviously opportunity to talk to the opposite sex, which being young and single in college, you always find those opportunities to do so. <laughs> and we helped them. Mom tips us 50 bucks a pop, my brother and myself. And we're like, that's good. Let's go talk to the lease office manager, present a little flyer, see if other people in the building help. Well, we ended up moving like 30% of that building within huh. the next, you know, 45 days or so. Did really, really well. My brother and his roommate continued that the next summer. I'm now graduated, had an outside sales job, kind of following down my father's footsteps, mm -hmm. coming back on weekends to help them. Eventually, uh, realizing and feeling that inflection of like, I'm, I know this is not what I'm supposed to do. Like even the freedoms of outside sales, it still just wasn't enough. I still longed. Something was pulling me back towards a business, whether it was yeah. moving or whatever, just something. Um, finally gave into that, pursued it. And then within the next 36 months thereafter, we grew to a multi-million dollar company, uh, which led to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now, uh, yeah. which is teaching other people how to do the same. We are paid or are free content. Yeah, well, I want to I want to hear more of that story of you know that business and how you built it, and and then get into how do we help people figure out what they want to do and whether it's a building business or or something else. So going back to that, you got into outside sales and you decided to start a business. Um, did that feel risky at the time? And can you tell me more about what that process? I like? wish, I, Andy, I wish it had felt riskier because you know, I'm young and dumb at this point. Right. And I jumped into it. And this is something I help people with now is, is transitioning because I just pulled the plug on the job and just dove in head first. Hmm. Uh, now, fortunately, and this is a benefit. Um, I had our, we already had two years. Right. And I think that second summer when I was, you know, full-time job and my brother continued to do the service, I think they did like 23 or 24,000. Don't call me specifically, but somewhere in that range, 23 or $25,000 over the whole summer yeah. now serving multiple apartment communities in that, that same college town. So there was a proven model there. Like I knew I was walking into some potential revenue or I had established relationships, yep. but even then it was just really, really tough to sustain growth of business, particularly a low margin business, mm -hmm. in addition to supporting myself personally. And so I really understated that. And uh, I really help people now establish, and we can get into that later or now if you'd like, uh, what that needs to look like to transition because I say this, but the dream dies when the bank dries. And a lot mm -hmm. of people have a really comfortable job and they have make great money yeah. and the risk of leaving and risking it all. And I've seen this happen and I'm sure you have too, Andy, yeah. but people that'll pour their entire life savings into this business venture. And next thing you know, it's gone and it's gone real fast within eight to nine months. And I've seen that often, unfortunately, it's heartbreaking. I hate to see it, but I see it yeah, all the time. I, I had this experience. Uh, so in my early twenties, I moved across the country. It was in Los Angeles and I got really interested in entrepreneurship. And uh, I was, I, I joined a couple startups and worked for these terrible bosses. And then I decided to start my own company with a friend that I met there. And what I think we didn't realize was that there wasn't really enough margin. It was a fun business, but there right. wasn't enough margin to sustain right. one of us, let alone both of us. And there also wasn't enough scale. And right. so that, that business ultimately failed. It was a fun business, but it wasn't making us enough money. Sure. So, so we see that side of things where people do what I did. They jump into the deep end of the pool not, and they don't check how deep it is before they jump. And I realized it was like two inches deep and dove head first. So pretty hard, right? Yeah. Pretty hard realization pretty quickly. I was doing laundry in my bathtub. I was losing a ton of weight. I mean, cause I couldn't afford food. I'm jogging in my office cause I couldn't afford gas, had a leaky tire in my car and it was, I just kept putting air in it. I couldn't afford a new tire. So yeah. a lot of people are like, why don't you ask your parents? Well, I, cause I left my job and my parents didn't agree with what I was doing. So the last thing right. I want to do is go back to parents and say, Oh, I screwed up. Can you help me? So yeah. I took ownership and I said, I'm going to figure this out. Now, the good thing is when you put yourself in that pressure cooker, 
you're going to find out what you're made of pretty quickly. And I think that largely led to the growth that we experienced because from year one full-time to year two, went from $48,000 to half a million dollars. I mean, that's unprecedented kind of growth, especially with no funding whatsoever. And yeah. then quickly thereafter to 1.2 million. So wow. yes, I made it through the pressure cooker, but there were substantial consequences. The flip side of that that I see, so that's my path. The flip side that I see, and maybe this will resonate with a lot of people is they're stuck in what I call professional learner mode, right? So they have a job, they know they're not happy. They've tried other jobs. They've sought greener pastures. They kind of have been pulled by said business, whatever that business idea is, or maybe they already have something they're doing on the side. They're too afraid. It's always the next course or the next book that they haven't read yet to really allow them to take that plunge, to right. take that risk and transition, right? They don't have the mechanics in place as far as how you do it. They don't have milestones or, or you know, um, uh, a certain amount of money they need to save up. There's no budgeting in place. There's nothing, right? So, so, they, don't, so they stay stuck. And the problem is when you're managing both of those at the same time, you're really stretching your bandwidth and you're making a lot of personal sacrifices. It's necessary either way, either one of those paths that I described, it's, they're going to be sacrifices to make. The problem is when you stay in that state of overwhelm, that overwhelm eventually leads to burnout. And then you just say, well, I've got this great job. And all of a sudden that job starts looking way more appealing. Mm -hmm. And you just accept the reality of this is my situation. And I'd love to start a business, but I have responsibilities. I have kids and a mortgage and all these various things. And I can't keep stretching myself this way. I miss my friends. I miss my social life. I miss doing fun things. And so it just becomes a thing that you played around with at one point in time and you didn't pursue seriously. So we see both of those. Um, and and, and there, are, there are pros and cons to each, as, as I've mentioned. Yeah, well, there's... And there's a balance there because there, there's two sides of this that you're talking about. I mean, there's there's one side where uh, you know you went all in, not even really considering all the bad, you know, the risks or anything, just kind of jumped into it both feet. But at the same time, uh, it sounded like you were you were young, you were single, you didn't have a family relying on you, right? So there was a little bit easier to to take that risk, right? And sure. Always go back and get a job. Um, then there's the other side, you know, people at let's say my stage of life, you know, 40s with mortgage and kids, and they're like. I can't just jump all into something. I need to be ready. And yet, right. and yet people, like you said, they wait too long because they want to be, they want the situation to be perfect. I need 12 months of savings. Right. I need my side hustle to, to be up to like 50% or more of my income. I need to have this certification and this knowledge and this network and these clients lined up. And then, like you said, like it gets overwhelming and it just, it never happens, right? 10 yeah. years later. So or, or worse, that? or worse, they go get an MBA because they think that's what they need to start a business. I see that, that one often. Too, I did that too. Clients. <laughs> I did that too. So how do you like? Sorry, Andy, I didn't mean to take a stab at you. No, it's okay. Well, I, you know, I got interviewed on this recently, and someone asked me, well, "Why did you get the MBA?" You know, a lot of entrepreneurs uh, yeah. say like, "You don't need that," and others say it's useful. And, and the reason I did, I was 25 years old. I was mm -hmm. in a career that I was I was miserable. I didn't think I could go start a business. I didn't know what else I could do. Of course. And so getting the MBA was my way of like jumpstarting my career to go make more right. money. And, and, and I had a whole spreadsheet laid out of like, this is what my salary is now. This is what it's going to cost. This is what it's going to be when I'm done. Right. Um, and it worked out, right? I did end up making right. a lot more money and, and it, it paid off, but I don't think you need it if you want to go start a business, right? But That's what correct. you're talking that about is people using it as an excuse to put off following the dream that may not require it. That's correct. Yeah. So if you're in a, let's say you're in a situation, and you sound like you talk to a lot of people in this situation where like, I'm not that happy with my job, right? I'm not that happy with my career right now. I want to make some changes and I don't like working for people. I'm thinking about starting a business instead. How do, how do you help people? How do you know if you really should be pursuing entrepreneurship and starting a business? Or maybe, you know, a lot of people just need to make a change in their career 
because they're better suited working for a company. It's just that one situation they're unhappy with. I, that's like the, the, the million dollar question. And it's the most important one. I think anyone can ask themselves because people they're in a bad situation with a career. Right. And they think it, Oh, it's because I want the freedom that, you know, uh, that's having my own business would provide. And so I said this before, I believe, and I'll say it again, but entrepreneurship is a lifestyle. It is not a career. It is not. If you think you're leaving a nine to five to go work nine to five, but do it for yourself, you could not be further from the truth. Like it is going to require every bit of immersion. You're going to have to change everything about you, the way you view things, the way you conduct yourself, the way you operate as a professional, you will have to change everything. You have to buy into what it means to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I think it starts with, and I'm a big fan of mentors, accountability partners, uh, potentially your own spouse. My wife is great. It's helped help me find my North node and off, you know, in, in some situations, but really recognize why am I truly unhappy? Right. And really sit with that for a while. What, a degree of self-awareness would be extremely beneficial because you may have a, an environment that's not conducive or doesn't align with your values or what you perceive to be your long-term goals, or you may have a boss that's unruly or the people, there may be some nuance as it relates to your specific job at wherever it is you work now, that really is a, a, um, taking away or stripping away from your fulfillment at what it is that you do, right? So if there've been other positions or other jobs where you have had a, a lot of happiness and have been fulfilled and have felt a certain way, then that's something to look into. What was it specifically and uniquely? And maybe journal and write this down about, you know, the various aspects that you really enjoyed about that environment. Now, for me, had I done that exercise, what I would have found is a, a theme, right? a pattern of seeing, here's a guy that always, not, not, not for the last five years, my entire life always tried to find a way, always gravitated towards looking outside the box looking at opportunities to make money outside of, and, and, and really those were the moments, Andy, where I was alive. Those are the moments where I really felt like this is where I, you know, belong in the world. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I can't answer that question. I wish there's a mechanical way to say like, here's how you check that box. And you decide like, here's the one, she here's the one list. Here's the other list. And if you have more checks on this side than this side, you're an entrepreneur and right. vice versa, right? right? It's not that simple. It has to be, it's, it's a completely case by case. You just know, right? It's like when they say when you meet uh, the person you're going to marry, yeah. you, can't, you can't tell somebody here's what to look for. Right. You just tell them, you know, when you know. They say the same thing about buying a house. You walk into it, you're like, this is the house. I just know this is the house. So if there's something deep inside and you really analyze, make sure you deal with the emotional aspect of potentially a toxic or sour environment that you're in right now, yeah. right? Being in your nine to five job. And if it's something that's isolated to that specific job, but it hasn't been the case for other positions, okay, then maybe you just need to find greener pastures or look for another opportunity that's better in alignment with right. who you are and what's good for your future career, yeah. right? And then, uh, and then conversely, do what I said. Now, there's also some things that maybe you can look into as far as like your, your risk aversion, how, how tolerant you are of risk, if you know you're the type of person that you don't like to make a big decision. Like there are some nuance and subtleties as it relates to what's required to be an entrepreneur. So I would really look at it as objectively as I can and pro con it for the other side as well, right? Think about that. Like, would I be good in this situation where I had, it was on me. And if I didn't produce, like I don't eat or feed my family. Like some right. people that's enough to scare them to not do it. Yeah. Not just focus on the glamor of entrepreneurship. And, and I'll tell you this, but, and everybody showed this metaphor, what you see with people on social media, and it's now worse than it's ever been before. Right. You see the tip of the iceberg. You don't see the 90% of the failure and struggle and everything else that comes with being an entrepreneur. And a lot of people find that out quickly and they're like, oh my God, 
this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for the, the Instagram smiling faces from the beach because you had the freedom to go do those things, that location independence. That's right. But just know there's a lot more that comes to it and educate yourself on what that is. And would that align with you or would that bring out the worst in you? And you're like, I don't want any piece of that whatsoever. Yeah. So I, I think it's a process. I wouldn't rush it. I would really, and I know I mentioned before, not staying in professional learning mode, but in this particular example, I would really marinate on that and bring in some trusted advisors and counsel, spouses and friends, advisors, mentors, all those people are going to be able to really say like, Hey, yeah, I think you're onto something, not only with the idea, but who you are as a person, you've always kind of gravitated that way. Or I don't really see that for you. I don't think that would really align with you, or at least to make you see things that maybe you're not currently seeing because of the nature of your unhappiness in that current position that you're in. Yeah. I, I agree completely. I love what you said. Entrepreneurship is a lifestyle. A lot of people get into it. They don't realize that, you know, I want to start a business uh, baking cookies. I love doing that. Well, now you have to find clients. You got to find customers. You know, you got to do all the other right. things that come with running a business. It's frustrating. It can be scary, yeah. it can be risky. And, and you've got to be okay with that. Like for me personally, right. I love the ups and downs and the risk of being an entrepreneur now that I'm me here. Too. Right. And I talk to other, it's interesting to me when I talk to other people who fall into entrepreneurship, they're running a business, you know, as an independent consultant or something, I couldn't get a job. So I just started doing it on my own. And some people are like, I'm so glad I found this. I love it. Other people are like, yeah, I'm looking for another job. And my, in my mind, I'm thinking, once you get a taste of this, why would you ever go back I know. and get a job? Right. But that's because you and I are so into this lifestyle. Like, I don't care if I don't find any customers for the next three months and I can't figure out a way to pay the bills, I'll downsize my whole life. And I've got two kids and a mortgage that's before right. I go back and take another job because this is the lifestyle for me. But for other people, like that's not for them, right? They've got to figure out if that's a thing. And you can't be influenced, like you said, by social media. So many people showing things off. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. I love the metaphor that the person taking the picture of the beach, you know, they might be at the beach because they don't have any clients. They don't have any work to do, right? right. And they're sitting there anxious because I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills next week, but let me go ahead and snap this photo and, and, uh, and show off how great my life is. And maybe somebody will want to hire me. You have no right. idea what's going on behind the scenes, right? Right. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we, I, this whole idea of like, we've got to have self-awareness. We've got to really think about, do this reflection, think about where we want to go. Let's say that, you know, someone says, yeah, I, I definitely do want to go start a business. How do I identify what that business is, what the market opportunity yep. is like to make sure it's, it's a viable thing to go into? Great question. Uh, so I like the book rework by the guys over base camp. That's a great one to start. And one of the things they talk about in that book that I preach and teach all the time and everything that I've done, Andy has followed this pattern. It's sometimes just accidentally in most cases accidentally, but this is how it's evolved. It's scratching your own itch, right? So, so identify something that you observe. And most people think entrepreneurship has, entrepreneurship has to be these grand, sexy ideas. And the reality is, and this is always the example I use because I think it's probably the most practical example. There's somebody out in the world right now that's getting a royalty off of every time Starbucks or whatever said coffee shop is selling a coffee sleeve. It's a piece of cardboard that yep. protects you from burning your hand, a piece right. of cardboard that they yep. cut and that's it. And somebody event invented that. And now they're getting a royalty probably or likely off of every, I, I think it was like two cents every time. I don't know if that's real or not. It's kind of like an old wives yeah. tale, but yeah. the point is this. People were burning their hands and they needed a solution. And that person came up with a solution as simple and basic right. of an iteration as it was. Yep. Right. So, so a lot of people, what they do is they think entrepreneurship has to be, you know, this grand, like sexy thing that just innovates the world in so many ways. And if you look at it, everything is just an, it's just the next iteration of a very basic concept. Even if you look at something like Facebook, 
human connection is the iteration. It's just a further iteration of human connection, right? We've just taken that a step further. There was a problem where we couldn't, there was a lag in our ability to do that seamlessly and at scale. And that's all Facebook did, right? So we want to find something that in our lives or just be observant, right? Just watch in your world, things that are just a real big pain in the ass, right? And then say, is there an opportunity that I'm uniquely qualified or I could become uniquely qualified to provide a solution that would serve a segment of a market that maybe even looks like me, right? So that's where I would start. And I would just start notating these things, just again, being observant of the things you experience in your life. It could be online, offline, doesn't matter, right? Then there's other questions about scalability and margins. and stuff. Let's not worry about that for now because we're going to get to that, right? Then the next thing is, is once you've narrowed that down, right, you're going to really start doing some research, immersing yourself, looking at some competitor stuff like that. But even before that, what I like to do is start talking to real potential customers in that market, people that could viably or feasibly utilize that service or product that you're considering, right? And have conversations with them. Because what you want to find out is this, when it comes to whatever it is you're planning on doing, what is your single biggest challenge? That is the most important question you can ask because then they're going to give you a lot of feedback. And what do we all love? We all love to be asked, hey, Andy, what do you think about this? I need your advice. Because we light up inside when somebody wants to hear what we think, right? right. We can't help ourselves. Why people answer polls sometimes have nothing to do with anything that's of any relevance to you personally. Right. Because, hey, it's a poll. I can answer a question, right? And that's why those things work well. So even if it's like comes down like, what Disney princess are you? Like we can't help ourselves, right? We have to do it. So at least 10 of those conversations. I've heard people say 100. I've been involved with accelerator programs where we actually have them do 100. I think it gets a little convoluted. I think the data gets a little bit too robust when you do 100. It's like, how do I do anything with this much of a sample size? And am I going to take two and a half years to do it? Right. 10 is the bar minimum. Now, you could also send out a digital survey, as I've been taught, uh, and you can do get 250 responses, right? But you're basically doing just basic R&D. You're doing some research to figure out what is... Uh, is this a problem that resonates with other people the same degree that I'm observing that it is for me, right? Then you're going to ask some other questions too, outside of the single most important question, but you're going to get really detailed, which is why I prefer the in-person. Actually now over Zoom and record is probably the best way to do it because I go back and watch these all the time to make sure I really got all the nitty gritty stuff out of it. But what you're going to do then is you're going to take that data and decide a couple things. You're going to go online and look and see if there's other people already providing that, what they're charging, really compare and contrast and figure out like, okay, are there people doing this? If there's no competition, why is there no competition? We're in 2021 right now. There's no such thing as a new idea. We've thought of everything. We're sending missiles to Mars. I mean, there's really no such thing as a new idea this day and age. Yeah. So a lot of people get excited when there's no competition. That's actually a bad thing. It means that there probably isn't a market for it or the technology that we currently have available to us uh, doesn't isn't available to do what it is that we're trying to do at this particular moment in history, right? So mm-hmm. a couple of different things it could be. If there is competition, we want to find out, okay, let's analyze these people, use the data that we gather from the audience that we've now interviewed and figure out uh, in that questioning, what else have you tried, right? And I'll give you an example here in a second, because this is a really, really important example Yeah, that left you feeling like you wanted more out of that experience, right? Mm-hmm. So the example I want to give is hotel chains and specifically Airbnb. Yeah. So I had Chip Conley, who is the right-hand man to Brian Chesky, is the founder, aka, or I think he's co-founder of Airbnb, okay? Yeah. Came on my podcast and I asked him, I said, of course I asked him. Did you have a massive war internally that we didn't see like Uber had with the taxicab business? Hmm. And he said, no. And it was crazy because we expected it. But he said, what we ended up finding out was this. The people that used Airbnb, our clientele, 
the hotel chains were baffled. They had no idea how Airbnb, Airbnb had a $21 billion valuation at that time. This is a couple of yeah. years in. Yeah. What they found was that their customers were people that A, only traveled to and stayed with friends and family or didn't travel at all. They were people that, that's the only two scenarios in which you know, they, they would lie basically. They didn't travel at all. They only stayed with friends and family. So they, they basically found a segment of the market that was extremely underserved that pe of people that weren't staying in hotels. Now, somebody at face value, right, looking at the getting into that business, Airbnb is the idea, right? Yeah. They would have said, oh, my God, the market's too saturated. I can't go against Hilton. I can't go against these right. massive IHG. I can't. No way. They'll kick my butt. They've been established. They're titans of industry. They're multi, multi, multi-billion dollar corporations. Right. How could I compete with that? When you have those conversations and you then you take that and layer it onto the assessment of your market, what you're going to find when you dig that layer deeper, and, and Russell Brunson calls this the blue ocean, when you find that blue ocean, what you'll find is you're going to slip into finding, yes, this is worthy of pursuing, and this is something that I can actually go forward with and act without the uncertainty that comes with not doing that research first, right, and just going into a market because you make those blanketed statements like, oh, the market's saturated, oh, I can't do this. Now, now that we have that data, we're going to feel really, really confident at this point, I promise you. When you, when you know you've got something, you're going to start feeling really, really confident, or you're going to know that it's not worthy of pursuit. Yep. You're going to know that you know, this isn't viable because based off the subjective responses from those responses or those, those uh, survey you know, responses that I got and the data and the analysis that I've run on the market and the industry and the search terms and stuff like that, it just doesn't align. You're going to know to go back, and that's fine. At least you've gone down that avenue. But if you do decide that, then it's a matter of, okay, how do I start planning my personal exit from my job into business. Now, I think you and I talked about this on my show. I like to see six to 12 months as a bare minimum of your personal runway covered, meaning you need to be able to pay for whatever, whatever your lifestyle is right now. Yeah. I like to see six to 12 months. Now, you may be more aggressive than that. You may be less aggressive than that. You want to go 18 months. It doesn't matter. Just set what it is that's going to be appropriate for where you are and what you feel like your level of risk threshold actually entails. But either way, and it could be different, right? If you have kids, it's different. Like Andy said, then I didn't have kids. I was a young kid. I could get by eating beanies and weenies. I'd be totally fine, right? Yeah. So figure that out. Then we can get into more of the mechanical stuff of like, okay, we're going to take these responses, which is what, what I teach people how to do. Take these responses, take that data that we've now gathered, all this research, and we're going to wrap that into our website so that when people hit our site, immediately we're speaking their language, not our cute and clever sales and marketing message that we've come up with in our mind. But a lot of people think they have to be these expert marketers. No, you need to just regurgitate what it is you learned from the people that you discovered having those conversations with them. And that's literally all I did with the moving company. And all I've done in everything since is just rely on my market to help me dictating and move towards. And, and, and often we've done that so well in many cases, Andy, that you'll see in the comments, whether it's a Facebook ad or you know some kind of marketing copy, people will say, oh my God, it's like you're in my head. Or they tag their friends and they'll say, you see, I told you Facebook is listening. It has yeah. nothing to do with that. It just right. has to do with the fact that we're dialed in on having those conversations and then using the words that they used, mm -hmm. regurgitating to them to that specific segment of the market. So yeah. that's a, a high level view of how we approach making that transition. Some of the things you should be doing to validate and or disprove the notion of pursuing that business venture. Right. Uh, but but anyways, happy to dive into any of that further. I love it. Um, and um, there's so much to unpack there. And for people that are thinking about, you know, starting a business, really going, understanding that market opportunity, looking at the competition, you mentioned the blue oceans, um, and then starting to speak that language back on the website ads, that sort of thing. Um, something else you mentioned in there a few times, you mentioned this idea of mentors, um, advisors, coaches, and that's something that I was lacking when I started out and went on a search to find those. And I know it's been important for you as well. 
Um, you know, if you're married, it's really important to have the support of your spouse, but how do you go find a great business mentor? If you're like, yeah, I want to go start a business, but I don't want to do it on my own. Um, we know the value of this. How do you go find a great mentor, mastermind coach, whatever it may be to help you on your journey? Yeah. So I didn't, I was like you, Andy, I didn't find mine until I was really in the trenches and things got, things were really out of hand. I didn't know what I was doing is managing, managing a multi-million dollar company. It sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, but when you're in your mid-20s and you've never done it before, it, I trust my life was way more stressful than fun. Um, I ended up serendipitously just finding my mentor through that process, through a friend of a friend that knew somebody, you know, that kind of situation. So usually that happens organically. However, you can, oftentimes what I find, you can accelerate the process of identifying that person or the opportunity that you fall into someone like that. Right. So usually what I recommend to people now is when you're starting out and, and I love the idea of people try to skip the steps, right? They try to go from, I have a job and I want to sell stuff on the internet. And so they just skip this whole in between of rolling up your sleeves and figuring out the basic iteration of your business. And that's great. The internet allows scale, but until you really know what you're doing um, and you've, you've really gotten in front of a customer and, and done, you know, that even if it's selling stuff at a, you know, a, a farmer's market, right? Like wh whatever it is that you're selling, you need to be able to do it. It's most basic iteration. A lot of people try to skip that. Now, part of that it, basic iteration is word of mouth. And people were probably like, oh my God, were you a dinosaur? Like we're not, this word of mouth marketing. Like, yeah. but starting out, I'm telling you, we, we advocate and help people get to 50 to $100,000 in revenue just from uh, taking advantage of their lo hyper-local ecosystem, going and creating uh, local champions, right? from both their beta customers, the people they interview, those interviews that I said you need to have with potential prospects, those become champions for you in your local community. And that's why it needs to be real customers, not mom, dad, brother, sister, and neighbor. These be real potential customers. But also too, I like to advise people to carve out at least one day a week to go to something that is industry related or business related, right? So I'm a big fan of BNI, Business Networking International. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things on Eventbrite. There's a lot of things on Facebook that you can find events that are maybe geared yeah. towards your specific yeah. industry where you can go and meet people and talk to them about what you're doing and get feedback and start to test some of the data that you've already gathered from those conversations you had. Start to test that against some of the responses you're getting at these you know, network events you go to. The reason I like that is because every single week, if you're spending an hour a week, maybe two at most, and I don't want you to become a professional networker and people do that, unfortunately. The reason I like that is because A, you're creating potentially more local champions. People like, you know, groups like BNI, they, they, they are held accountable to send referrals your way, right? Mm -hmm. So you're getting that experience that you wouldn't have otherwise, and you're tapping into a mechanism that's built and conducive to do just that. But also, you're going to be around other business owners, and you're going to find a lot of synchronicity and or the opportunity to potentially have that person mentor you or they know someone that's done something similar to what you're doing. Or again, I have no idea how it's going to play out, but what I know is this, when you do those type things and you get out there and meet new people and you network and you do that cross pollination, it's inevitable that you're creating at the very least, you're creating more opportunity for something like that to happen. Right. It's inevitable. Like it, it literally, it's impossible to argue that you're not creating more of an opportunity yeah. for those things to potentially happen. So a lot of people get so in the trenches and just put their head down and work, 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 work on their business. And I love that, but you need to be also putting resources around yourself and doing that and creating that exposure and, and 
creating those relationships and that network is a really important fundamental aspect of what you're doing. So love online efforts. I'm not dismissing them, but I think to start, it's really, really good to do some in-person stuff as well. Yeah. Do a lot of networking. And the more people who know what you're doing, the easier it is for them to refer people to you, both clients and potential mentors, coaches. That's correct. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there's also all the people that we follow gurus online, you know, that you're like, Oh, I've listened to this person's podcast. Right. I love what they're up to. You know, they might have a coaching program or something. That's correct. Right. And think back to the moving company story. If you recall what I said, you know, we moved 30% of the building that we lived in that first summer. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I didn't have a user base or an email list of that many people to market to. Mm -hmm. I tapped into a business that already had those customers and we collaborated with them because they needed somebody that could help them do that process more seamlessly. And we needed customers to get our business off the ground. And we lived in that building. So it, that's where you meet those. I think collaboration, you hear the people talk about growth hacks. In my mind, some of them are real, some of them are total bullshit. But to me, the one that's approved and 100%, probably the ultimate growth hack is collaboration, right? So you're constantly looking for when you meet people, potential collaborative partners, yes. right? And, and what ends up happening, and it becomes really, really cool when it does happen is uh, one of the big catalysts for growth when we went from you know 48 to half mil and then 1.2 in a very short period of time we had furniture manufacturers come in because now we're, we're focused on residential, right? We're moving students, eventually move families. What ended up happening was furniture manufacturers came to apartments and said, hey, here's the deal. Why don't we give you uh, the ability to increase your NOI, right? So instead of you having people bring grandma's furniture to your apartment and racking up the doors and banging in the walls and stuff like that, we'll have people, we'll sell you furniture and then the students don't have to worry about it. They just bring their clothes and their food and their personal items. Right. Well, they come to building, guess who has relationship with buildings? We do. So we already knew it. So immediately they said, hey, can you hire these guys? Because they're always in our building. And they, so those contracts of which were six figure plus contracts, in many cases, it was a, we were shoe in because that's what we did. All, so we were serving both sides of the market. That would not have happened had we not built those trusted collaborative partners. And that's where I say word of mouth can become huge. Word of mouth led to, and at this point, honestly, I wasn't doing any advanced marketing at all because we had so much business I couldn't afford. Like I literally... If I had done it, I would have had to turn it away because I had no bandwidth for it. I turned $2 million away in 2014 because we just couldn't take any more business. We could not keep up with growth fast enough. And it was all because we took advantage of those collaborative partners and then used that exposure to leverage that with other places around the country to do the exact same thing. We were doing business in 32 states, all based on those relationships that we had built. That's great. Fantastic. Um, last thing I want to ask you about, Chris, is you know we're, we're talking about doing all this legwork and making sure we're setting ourselves up for success. And you know, hopefully everything's going to work out. But you and I both know uh, entrepreneurship is fraught with failures and mistakes, um, you know, and, and scars along the way. How do we yeah. develop the mindset to deal with those, those failures, those mistakes, those obstacles, and keep on going and persevere until we do find the thing that's successful? That's really, really tough, Andy. Um, so the way I do it is this. Um, I, I like to say when in doubt, zoom out, right? And, and, I, and I also am a big advocate and it's sitting right in front of me. You'll never see it not in front of me. Uh, this is my full focus planner, right? So I'm a big, big fan. I think some people, they, the problem is they have abstract goals. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of smarter goals, which is something that Michael Hyatt dubbed. Mm -hmm. So it's specific, measurable, actionable, and so on and so forth. There's an acronym for all these various things. So you've probably heard, heard of smart goals. He extends it to smarter goals. Yep. The reason I like it, and I borrow Brian, uh, Brian Moran, I was about to say Brian Miller, Brian Moran's 12-week year. Follow these type people about planning and goal setting because the problem is, is this, and, and goals become paradoxical in entrepreneurship. The problem is, is we have these big abstract goals, right? I want to achieve a seven-figure business. Okay, well, let's reverse engineer that. What is the first step to move towards that goal? 
not just, hey, I'm going to hustle my butt off until I get to seven figures. And many of us, that's what we do, right? Even six figures, like that's the goal. I want to make six figures and leave my job. <laughs> okay, let's, let, let's break down what those stepping stones actually need to look like. Right. Well, making that mechanized, using something like your full focus planner, using reading the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller, going through and reading Michael Hyatt's you know, book, Your Best Year Ever, like really equipping yourself with how do I achieve goals? How do I set goals and how do I execute on those to achieve my desired outcome? And then what those need to be to begin with, uh, what that's going to allow you to do is start feeling momentum. A lot of people think that, you know, entrepreneurs are just really motivated people and that motivation leads to momentum. And it's the contrary is an inverse relationship. Momentum leads to motivation. Motivation then filters back into momentum, right? So you're more motivated. So, so you need to first gather momentum. The way you do that is to set up achievable, measurable, specific goals that you have gone through a mechanism and crystallize what that needs to look like to take those steps forward, right? So, and this is difficult for a lot of people that have transitioned from a job into business because now you're in a job where those were outlined for you. Here's our agenda. Here are your initiatives. These are things you need to execute on. You get those things done, right? And, and you get a promotion and you get more money, right? And, and that's, and we've been taught, we've been conditioned and indoctrinated our entire lives to follow that method. So I always tell people, you have to divorce your taskmaster. You now have to focus on and discern first, right? Now you're the one that has to decide, okay, what are, what are, what are the initiatives? What do we execute on, right? So- when you get in that position, you need to be very, very specific and have an actual system in place for how you achieve those goals, what those goals need to be. And then ultimately what you're going to be noticing is, sure, I'm going to experience failures, but I've been building up so much compounding interest of wins for the things that I've set up and the objectives I set up for myself that you're going to realize that it's maybe a learning experience along the path, but you're building up enough wins, right? You're building up enough momentum and inertia in the direction of your goal, whatever that big abstract goal is. Uh, you're building that up to where you don't feel those to the degree you would if you just had that abstract goal. Now, the reason I said the goals are paradoxical is because the longer it takes you to reach that abstract goal, the harder it feels like it is to achieve it. And the longer it feels like it's going to take you to get there. Right. And so we've all been in a situation where uh, we talk to a friend or a mentor or a coach or whomever, and we tell them this problem we're experiencing. They're like, well, why don't you do X, Y, and Z? And to them, it's just so blatantly obvious what we should do. We're like, oh yeah, like how have I been missing that? It's because you've allowed it to Literally, you've turned a, 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 uh, a mountain into or out of a molehill, right? You've made it this big thing paradoxically because you didn't have the, the recipe or the mechanism to follow to not make it that, that way. Right. Yeah, completely makes sense. I'm a big fan of uh, using smart goals to uh, make a plan towards, you know, achieving that big vision. Um, something I laid out in my book and, and talk about a lot as well. It's, it's, it works for entrepreneurship. It works for achieving your career goals. Uh, I have Michael Hyatt's full focus planner. I've used that. I'm a big fan of that as well as uh, mm-hmm. I've been a long time using the freedom journal uh, by John Lee Dumas. And uh, I created my own companion journal that went with my book. And, you know, it doesn't matter which journal you use, right? As long as you're you're laying out specific goals and you're tracking your progress uh, towards these things. So important. Um, yeah. Chris, we got to wrap things up. Last question for you. Um, my book is called Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast by a similar name. And I think whether you're running a business or you're in a, a corporate career, it can apply. When you hear the words own your career, what does it mean to you? I think if somebody said, if, it, you know, if failure wasn't an option, what would you be doing? Um, and if it's not what you're doing right now, that to me is you haven't fully taken ownership of your career. Because if people ask me that question, I'm like, I would be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Like if, even if I was making no money at all, I'd be doing exactly what I'm doing. So for me, it's putting away this, putting aside the fear, putting aside the uncertainty, putting myself in alignment as hard as that may be. And as long as, like you said, you might have to make the sacrifice, you might have to downsize your house or whatever. 
Yep. But are you where you're supposed to be? I think a lot of us, we lose a little bit of that like boyhood or girlhood. Like when we're a child, uh, we, 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 we tend to put these mature adult roadblocks in our way. The reasons why we can't do something. So I'm a why not person. I'm like, why not? And I'll do whatever, whatever is necessary to get there, even if it's going to be really hard and take a lot of sacrifices. So for me, uh, that's what it is. It's doing what you know, deep down, you're intended to do, even if you have to be as silly as a child to pursue it, right? And really look past a lot of real life objections and real objections uh, to pursue that and being smart about it. I obviously want to make sure people aren't living under a bridge. That is not wise. That's but right. Making sure you're working in the direction of getting to that place if you're not there now. Love it. Uh, Chris, if people want to follow you, learn more, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah. So at HeyCMH on all of social media, and we do have a, a freebie. If you are wanting to move into considering entrepreneurship, we do have a, a free download. It's a seven to eight page PDF. As far as all the things you should be doing is called the ultimate startup checklist. You can go to uscdownload.com. That will immediately invite you. We're launching a new class, how to get your first 100 customers in just 100 days without breaking the bank, even if you're starting from scratch. Uh, it's a brand new class we're launching. When you download the ultimate startup checklist at uscdownload.com, you will immediately in the next couple of weeks get an invite to that class. And it's hundred percent free if you want to attend that. I do have a question for your audience, if you don't mind, Andy, but it takes 20 seconds for you guys to do so. And I'd greatly appreciate if you do it. You guys don't see the work that goes behind the work, right? With what Andy's doing to run a show like this. I know because I host a podcast myself. It's going to take you 20 seconds to do two things. And I'm going to tell you why here in a second. Subscribe and leave a review. And the reason is because the podcast apps, like the one you're listening to this from, that's how they judge whether a show should be featured or ranked or not. So those are the two things you can do to help Andy continue to get this show featured places and achieve more viewers, more listeners, is do that for him. And I'd appreciate it because it's like leaving a tip for your waiter or your waitress. So please help me out to do that. If it takes more than 20 seconds, you can tag me on social media and call me a liar. I promise you it only takes that long. 20 seconds, surprise and leave a review. And if you have any seconds left over to spare, go check out the Startup You podcast and go subscribe and leave a review over there as well. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. We'll talk more soon. Thanks, buddy. It was fun.